Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. Yeah. Joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 98. It's one of those shows, it's just you and I, your requests from our big pile of requests. We've got a spreadsheet, we've got a spreadsheet for everything in a cane and rinse style. Uh, and one of the big spreadsheets we've got is a list of every track we've ever featured on Sound of Play and... Uh, a list of all the tracks that uh, our community listeners have requested. And so here, because we haven't done this for a while, are another nine of those. Well, you've already heard one. That was uh, Shuffle It In The Dark by Katsuhiko Suzuki and or Norio Hanzawa from the amazing Sega Saturn exclusive at the time, Guardian Heroes by uh, the wonderful Treasure. That was requested by Brazenhead89 from our forum, canorince.com slash forum. There's a thread where we enjoy, share video game music, but it also doubles up as the thread in which uh, you can request pieces for this very podcast. You can also do the same on Twitter or even Facebook, more of which later. Brazenhead89 said... It's an oft-lamented fact on Sound of Play that not enough video game soundtracks have saxophones in them, and I for one agree. I had a hard time picking a favourite from the few sax-heavy game tracks I know, but I decided to go with one that I believe is yet to feature in Sound of Play, and that's Guardian Heroes. I first learned of Guardian Heroes only a few years after the death of the Sega Saturn, but by then the game was fetching triple-digit sums on eBay, and any attempts to play the game via emulation were met with futility, given that Saturn emulation is something of a fickle beast, not to mention illegal. Wink, wink. Fast forward 15 years after its initial release, and my years-long wait to try the game for myself was finally granted via an excellent remaster on the Xbox 360. 
The side-scrolling beat-em-up is a distinctly stubbornly retro affair to this day, so with that in mind, I've no qualms in stating that two decades later, Guardian Heroes remains the absolute pinnacle of the genre. This track, Shuffler in the Dark, that we open the show with, plays at a couple of key points in the game. The thumping bass and soaring synth psych the player up for the ensuing battles, and by the time you've kicked seven shades of unmentionables out of one swarm of enemies, another often leaps in, just as it comes to the sexy saxophonic climax. It's a joy to listen to, and even more appreciable without the clash of steel and screams of the fallen drowning it out. Yeah, so Brazen Hen mentioned the Xbox 360 version, X, uh, XBLA version that uh, came out some years ago. Uh, and happily, it is a backwards compatible title. So uh, it is there. You can buy it and play it on Xbox One now. It's 21 years old and I it's a game that I absolutely love, but I think it is worth mentioning before I recommend it without qualification that it's slightly different to your traditional progressive hack and slash brawler rather than having free movement on the uh, z-axis in and out of the screen uh, it has a a system which it's a little like some of the old uh, snk fighting games uh, in that it has uh, layers on which you can uh, fight so there's no actual there's no need to uh line yourself up with enemies via pixel they're on either the front middle or back rows and you hop between those rows via the shoulder button it's an unusual system and it means that i think the game is not quite as accessible as say the uh, chronicles of mistara the capcom uh, dungeons and dragons scrolling brawler or any of the famous uh, warriors inspired um, progressive fighting games and it also has uh, a lot um, more uh, RPG elements uh, perhaps than anything else before Castle Crashers or maybe Scott Pilgrim uh, there's some magic involved and hit points and so on and so forth but I played this game a lot back on the Saturn I remember it received I think it was a 96% review in Sega Saturn magazine uh, and it was a game that I remember playing over the course of a week uh, when I was uh, home alone, girlfriend was away somewhere, I can't remember where, and I used a, a guide that was printed in CMVG magazine which uh, explained which dialogue options to take to make sure that you saw all five endings, I think it was. So over the course of several nights, I played it through and got every ending, unlocked all the characters for the multiplayer, hardly ever used them in the end, but uh, it was important to complete, fill out that character select screen with, I can't remember how many characters, but it's like dozens and dozens. Uh, really distinctive art style, as you heard uh, at the start of the show, some amazingly uh, distinctive music as well. Uh, classic uh, anime intro and yeah lots lots to love about it but I think yeah to play it to play it today uh, you probably need to go in and understand that it is a very specific beast as treasure games often tend to be and it would it takes a bit of familiarizing to get used to its uh, quirks and foibles and intricacies but yes I definitely recommend it especially for the few quid or dollars that you would uh, pay to get it on your 360 or Xbox One uh, more of an investment on the the original Sega Saturn I sold my copy many many years ago for probably more than I paid for it but uh, yeah the, the XBLA version is uh, absolutely spot on there's there's no I have no qualms that I got rid of my original version in that in that respect 
Next up, we have something else from a Japanese composer, somebody we featured many times before, and we will be featuring again in at least the next couple of podcasts, I believe. I certainly know that there'll be some tracks of Nobuo Umatsu's in Sound of Play 100 coming up. Uh, but this is from Final Fantasy IX, requested by Mechna from the forum. And the piece is The Place I'll Return to Someday. This title track is interesting for me, says Mechna, as it was the last game in the Final Fantasy series that Uematsu composed solely on his own. And it was the first in the series that I played. I remember my dad bringing my sister and I to the now long defunct Games World as it was our birthday weekend. Our birthdays are two days apart. My sister picked up the abominable Mary-Kate and Ashley's Mystery Mall. I picked up Final Fantasy IX based solely on the fact that I thought the screenshots looked cool. I think I got the better deal. Funny, as my sister ended up playing Final Fantasy IX more than Mary-Kate and Ashley's. So the medieval tones there from Final Fantasy IX, Nobuo Uematsu, PlayStation, of course, originally came out in the year 2000. Uh, and this ties in with a piece on the Laced Records blog, lacedwithwax.com, a piece called We Heart, We Love Nobuo Uematsu, a celebration of the master's work. And this is uh, curated by our very own uh, Thomas Quillfelt, of Sound of Play Extra fame. You will have had uh, a couple of uh, extra Sound of Plays in your inbox recently, featuring Thomas and uh, interviewing some of uh, some some folks from the industry, some composers, and uh, as well as our very own Leah Haydu, who's a big Final Fantasy fan, contributing to this article. We also have picks from a former Sound of Play guests, including uh, Liam Edwards of Final Games Podcast and David Housden, 
the composer. So uh, do check that out. As I say, lacedwithwax.com. Lots of uh, game related music stuff there uh, as uh, curated, as I say, by our very own Thomas Quillfelt. A complete change of musical genre, style, tone, everything else from uh, some years prior, even to Final Fantasy IX. Uh, I recently, it, was a, it wasn't a challenge as such, but, uh, but Code Monkey on our forum, who's requested this track, uh, lamented the lack of Atari ST music featured on Sound of Play. Uh, and it's true, we haven't had many specific ST tracks, although, as we've commented before, the ST was famously used in professional music studios due to its uh, its uh, its MIDI inputs, outputs, and and uh, various other technical considerations. Uh, apparently, an extremely reliable metronomic internal clock or something like that. I don't understand these things. Um, obviously, the Amiga was known probably for its uh, its sound chip. It's uh, what people did with the Amiga as a uh, as a games platform with the likes of uh, Richard Joseph and Chris Hulesbeck and um, Nation 12 and uh, David Whittaker doing Bomb the Bass and all that kind of thing. Um, but Code Monkey was an ST guy and obviously has nostalgia for the ST. So he requests this piece. He says, I think it's a he, Code Monkey. Vroom on the Atari ST was an awesome F1 racing game. The sense of speed was amazing. I remember the game to be very hard, not only because of the sheer speed the game ran at. Pretty sure it ran at 60 frames per second and required you to have super quick reflexes. The AI was hard to beat too. But that really didn't matter as I had so much fun playing it and instead embraced the challenge. You could also play this game with analog controls, not with an analog stick. Those weren't invented for the Atari ST. But instead, you could race a Formula One car with your mouse. There's a documentary on YouTube about how the developers were obsessed with squeezing every bit of performance out of the Atari ST to make the game run even faster. I loved this game. The intro music was great and even included the vroom vroom sound from an engine. A fun jingle that really shows off what the ST could do sonically. It was a lot cleaner and crisper than the later Amiga port. So yes, this is from Vroom by French software house Lancor on the ST 1991 by uh, André Bescon, the intro music, Vroom.
Room. I played that, uh, and I also played... I played the Amiga version. I didn't have an ST. I also played... There was a version... Uh, effectively, it was the, the game engine was licensed by Domark, the British software house, uh, and they actually bought the F1... Did they buy the F1 license, or did they just make it more officially an F1 or a semi unofficially make it an F1 game. Anyway, a couple of years later, uh, F1 came out, which was yeah a, a more uh, fully featured and fleshed out version of Vroom. And it was it was uh, it was like, um, I guess, by modern standards, you'd think of it as a sort of hybrid game, maybe I suspect it's very arcadey in in actuality but it had the level of challenge that you might expect from something more simulationy and obviously by this point we'd had Jeff Crammon's legendary Formula 1 Grand Prix so <clears throat> uh, that was a game that I found far too technical and challenging even though I know it was absolutely beloved by Formula 1 fans I was happier vrooming around in vroom uh, but yes check the uh, check that out on line on YouTube because uh, it's not a game that you would ever see re-release now. I still remember the uh, the cardboard box that my copy came in. Something very contemporary now though, as requested by Tudinho, and uh, this I think is a really fantastic tune. Uh, this is a game, Tekken 7, from this year, actually originally the arcade versions from a couple of years ago. Uh, I don't know if this piece debuted in the arcade version or not, or, or whether it's from this uh, for the the home version for ps4 and also pc uh, so it's a game that's on my wish list and and this is one of those times where listening to this track has actually elevated my want to get hold of this game obviously i can listen to the music anytime but there's something about knowing that a game has a a cool soundtrack and uh, it's gonna you know fill your room played out of your your gaming setup and uh, all that comes with it. So Tadinho says, from the get-go, the game hits you with this beautiful, almost mournful main menu theme that really signals the end of an era. When I first started the game, I just stayed in the main menu for a good five minutes just to take in the entire track. Amazing. So this is called Solitude from Tekken 7.
If you've recently purchased Tekken 7, you'll recognize that as the main menu theme. And as is traditional with a lot of Namco games, particularly the Tekken series, there are a number of composers credited for Tekken 7. I've seen speculation that that has the sound of a Taku Inoue track, but uh, other, credit, uh, other credits on the soundtrack go to Akitaka Toyama, Oryo Hamamoto, Nobuyoshi Sano, and Keiichi Okabe. I think it's important to capture all these credits just in case. Uh, but uh, one or more of those people is responsible for that excellent track from the main menu. As we reach the halfway point of Sound of Play 98, it's another JRPG, but from the Konami stable, similar era to our earlier Final Fantasy IX track. This is from PS1 Times uh, 1998, and the game Suikoden 2, or originally titled Genso Suikoden. Samwat says, one way or another, I missed out on a lot of the groundbreaking JRPGs that came out around the millennial transition, and I know I have a lot to catch up on. Don't we all, Sam? One surprise wonder I recently discovered was Suikoden 2, though the story of how the game quite literally fell into my hands is for another day. I'd be interested to hear it. This JRPG had everything, tactical and engaging combat, platoons of diverse characters, and a thrilling story about the power of the people overcoming a bloody empire. The personal and familial story at the centre, however, rooted everything in Suikoden so tightly together. This track plays during some of the game's more reflective, quiet moments, where children forced into a war for their future must eventually rest and be themselves, lamenting on lost friends and easier times burned away.
familiar sound of uh, a lament from a Japanese role-playing game from the 90s, uh, but very, very pretty. Heart Softening is the title of the track, and the composers credited on Suikoden 2 are Miki Higashino and Keiko Fukami. Another change of tack now. And this is a game that I played when it launched on WiiWare 10 years ago, near enough. Nine years ago? Yeah, 2008, I think it was. There was a there was a PC version at the same time, but I, th- I think it made sense to play it on the Wii. The control method of World of Goo, which is the game we're talking about. Uh, mouse pointer, yeah, worked and it's logical. It works. I think I have that version on, on in my Steam library. Um, but I really liked the this is when 2008, the Wii remotes had only been around a couple of years, weren't completely tired of the experiments that developers were, were doing with motion control and actually the pointing at the screen as screen and dragging and dropping blobs of goo had a real tactile tacky and not in a bad way feel to it and 2d boy i think made a really interesting set of puzzles for world of goo uh, that could be solved not necessarily it, it it wasn't prescriptive in the way that i find some puzzle games restricting in that it actually allowed a certain amount of creativity the very amorphous nature of the goo the titular goo meant that you can um, kind of strategize in your own way that ultimately some levels are going to require you to form certain types of structure but actually i got through some levels by uh, by creating some really uh, outlandish and um, unstable uh, creations anyway the game has recently come out on switch as uh, as is pointed out by our requester of this track, Yakov G42, who says, with the re-release of the excellent world of goo on the Switch, it seems like a great time to revisit one of the cheesiest and most fun songs from an absolute marvel of a soundtrack. Red Carpet Extendomatic plays during a bizarre level that involves smashing a large blob of makeup-wearing goo into her various goo balls. It has the bonus of having a similarly fun and bizarre description by the artist Kyle Gabler. He writes... This song is designed to sound like every cheap 90s dance song ever made. The singer is great, though, an astrophysicist named Jessica. I gave her a chainsaw for her wedding and we never spoke again.
Kyle Gabler's Red Carpet Extendomatic from the excellent soundtrack to the uh, terrific puzzler, I'd say, by my reckoning, World of Goo, <clears throat> available on multiple formats, including Nintendo Switch, if you're looking for something to download and play on that handheld console hybrid, whether on the move or at home, I would recommend World of Goo. Although I imagine playing in a a, a not entirely stable environment, such as a train carriage, might not be conducive to winning at World of Goo. Uh, anyway, the, uh, the the fellow who requested that track, Jacob G42, is also known as Jacob Geller. And Jacob Geller is now a contributor to Kana Rinse, the Kana Rinse blog, kanarinse.com. I know uh, many of you just listened to the podcast and that's cool and we love you for it. But don't forget, we do also have articles and a forum, various other ways to engage with us. But uh, yes, we have contributors such as Jacob, who recently wrote a piece on the beginner's guide and the falsification of memory. It's a very interesting piece, a great debut for our blog. Uh, and I thoroughly recommend that you read it. Track number seven, something a little different here. I think this is from a first time requester, T-Bone254 from the forum. And this is not actually directly from a game as such. I'll let T-Bone explain. So this is a first time post for me. I thought for a while about what song I wanted to suggest. I went back and forth between a couple of old nostalgia trips and ultimately settled for this epic Bubble Bobble remix by 7-Bit Hero. I first came across this on OC Remix a few years back and I instantly instantly fell in love with it. I'm usually not one that goes for remixes that add lyrics to otherwise lyricless songs, but I love this one. It does so well at keeping true to the source material, but at the same time sounds so unique. It's upbeat, fun, and made with a quality worthy of radio play. I could go on and on about this remix, so I'll stop here and let it speak for itself.
So that is known as Bubble Dragon, a Bubble Bobble tribute by 7-Bit Hero, aka Hans Van Vliet, Phil Evans and Rich Young uh, from the original, which was by Tadashi Kimijima all the way back in 1986. That uh, remixed version or cover, whatever you want to call it, is from 2014. Uh, and people who follow me on social media and probably have listened to Kane and Rince, possibly even Sound of Play before, will know that I am um, a... a, a an evangelist, a proponent, an exponent, one of those, uh, a fan of, a, a pretty big fan of Bubble Bubble, the 1986 Taito arcade platformer, uh, a game that's had many, many ports, uh, a lot of which successful, some not so much, most of them uh, work pretty well. Uh, the way to play it right now is on PlayStation 4 in the Arcade Archives collection by Hamster. You can find a neat emulation of the original coin-op uh, and it's a game that I consider utterly charming, truly timeless and 
whatever you think is going on when you first look at it, there is so much more to this game. It it's so clever all the stuff that's going on in the background and the physics of the bubbles and uh, i just yeah i i've only ever completed it once and i've never got the true ending but uh it's a game that i've played hundreds and hundreds of times over the years and uh, genuinely think it is one of the all-time greats in my opinion it, it absolutely is anyway another game that many will consider an all-time great is monkey island Two, LeChuck's Revenge special, special Edition is the one we're talking about here in particular because uh, the piece that uh, Genuine Bragg from the forum has requested is the Special Edition version. They got uh, a, a band, musicians, live musicians in a studio to record the, uh, re-record I suppose, the music from Monkey Island 2, the 1991 original when the uh, when the 2010 Special Editions were being handled at, at LucasArts when LucasArts were making games. And I think this is one of the really successful elements of the special edition. I know there's some uh, people who weren't a fan of the updated art and things like that. Possibly in some cases, people didn't even like the voice work. But I think the music, I, I haven't heard too many people complain that the music was taken from its uh, its Emuse MIDI even PC speaker origins and turned into uh, actual organic sounding real music. Genuine Bragg says, growing up, I played through a great many point and click adventures with my sister. This being the early 90s, the lack of internet walkthroughs, only having a few games and the fact that we were idiot children meant that we would spend huge amounts of time with each title, often getting stuck on individual sections for weeks at a time. The first two Monkey Island games were two such titles that sucked up an inordinate amount of our childhoods, and the second one in particular is one that we found particularly difficult. At the time, we found ourselves in and around the opening part of the game, Wood Tick, for what seems like forever. It's lucky then that the locale itself is wonderful. It's extremely atmospheric, with warm yellow lamplight shining out of windows onto a dark palette of blues, greens and blacks in an external area, which itself led off into a number of interiors, which contained some of the series' most memorable characters. While you explored this area, the very catchy wood tick theme would play, and through the wondrous immune system, it would change and adapt on the fly as you entered a new location. I actually find both games quite hard to go back to now because I find the series brand of off-the-wall logic tricky to get my head around to this day, but I did try the special editions that came out a few years ago. While I found the voice acting and art style a little off-putting, I wish Double Fine would give this the remake treatment all over again, more in the spirit of the original, I loved the re-recorded music. Searching YouTube, I found this excellent medley of all the different variations of the wood tick theme. It's excellent music that never fails to put a smile on my face.
Wood tick, a kind of medley of the various tunes that play the variations as you enter the different locations of that uh, magical location from the second Monkey Island game. Composers on that game are Michael Land, Peter McConnell and Clint Bajakian. I don't know who was mainly responsible for Wood Tick or whether it was a, a collaborative effort. Wonderful stuff. And it reminds me that although we did cover on Cane and Rinse, The Secret of Monkey Island, it's been quite a while now. On uh, 192 is the number of that particular podcast. We're now on 270 something. So maybe next year it's time we went back to Monkey Island and covered Monkey Island too. It's definitely worth talking about and particularly the ending, which is still controversial. I'd say there are two, two. Yeah, I'd say there are two pieces of fiction that actually properly upset me in their endings. There may be more, I'm thinking, as I'm going here, but two that stick in my mind as being genuinely upsetting. One, when I was about 10 years old, the end of the British BBC sci-fi TV series, Blake Seven. Uh, Those who are old enough and saw that will know what I'm talking about. And the other one was The Secret of Monkey Island 2, where, again, I felt kind of, yeah, hurt, betrayed, discombobulated. But then again, I did not like the revisionism that was adopted in the next game. So I still need to uh, somehow find closure about what happens at the end of Monkey Island. Uh, There's a lot been written about it by the game's creators. And uh, it would be a fun, fun game to cover on Cane and Rinse, I'm sure. Anyway, you can find all our podcasts, the entire backlog over at caneandrince.com slash forum. There comes a point where they start to drop off of iTunes because you can only have so many available at any one time. And uh, it's worth remembering that you can still get them all from caneandrince.com. Uh, there's a there's an embedded player for everyone uh, and you can download them as well. You can also follow us on Twitter. We post this and that now and again. You can also talk to us via Twitter at Kane and Rince. If you want to request a track, use the hashtag sound of play. We're more likely to see it and remember it. Similarly, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Kane and Rince, which is where we mainly focus on uh, news. That's where we, because we don't do news on the Kane and Rince blog, uh, that we don't have the resource or the time to uh, keep up with gaming news. What we do on our Facebook page is we, grab most of the interesting what we think are interesting purely video game related stories for our uh, audience and community uh, so as you'd imagine with the eclecticism of the cane and rinse backlog and sound of play uh, we are interested in the new stuff the old stuff remakes remasters uh, great creators who are doing new stuff and yeah generally video game news but hopefully we filter out a lot of the the nonsense so it's worth going to facebook and finding us cane and rinse as i say keep requesting your favorite pieces and we'll continue to include a selection in the regular sound of play podcast sometimes we have a different sort of a show but uh, and then sometimes we make up for it by doing one of these an all request special uh, please do subscribe to sound of play and cane and rinse leave us an itunes review or rating if you can and also we have a patreon patreon.com slash cane and rinse and we're currently working towards a target by the end of the year just before the end of the year we're heading towards three thousand dollars per month which will mean that we can actually uh, put more time into cane and rinse and make even more podcasts 
even more and even better podcasts. Uh, but Sound of Play will continue to be a weekly affair regardless. But if you enjoy what we do, if you've enjoyed this show, we're only asking for that minimum donation of $1 per month, which is just uh, 77 pence or thereabouts at the current exchange rate. I haven't checked it today. Uh, and it really, really does go a long way into making all the stuff that we put out, which is a lot of stuff and a lot goes into it, I can assure you, um, and means that we can yeah keep it going, basically. Uh, thank you for all your requests in this show. So finally, on this Sound of Play 98, we have a request from Hornash from the forum. And this is from a, uh, a sort of retro remake from uh, best part of a decade ago now, Bionic Commando Rearmed. Hornash says, never played the game, although I probably should. This came to my attention when an ex was playing audio surf around my place, and this was the song she used. For all I know, she still has the top score for the track on a few levels. I could never get close to her. That's a sad story. Is that a Freudian slip? It's a really cool techno track that is really good to have playing while you're driving. There is a shortened version they used for the launch trailer that incorporates sound effects and the action timed to the beat that's good to watch, but wouldn't make a huge amount of sense on an audio podcast. Uh, but thanks for the request, Hornash. And uh, yeah, I think this piece absolutely stands alone and makes perfect sense to play us out on Sound of Play 98 by Simon Vickland. This is Power Plant from Bionic Commando Rearmed. And... Uh, Ryan, we'll see you next time in Sound of Play 99. So until at least 101, it's, uh, it's goodbye from me, Leon. And um, yeah, enjoy this. <laughs> <laughs>